morning, church. Oh, God is so good. I'm telling you. Um, I don't know if it's just my perspective because of, of um, having this accident years ago and, and coming to that place where, you know, I could have easily died and, and appreciating. I'm telling you, I, I appreciate, not every day as much as I should, but I catch myself and say, God, thank you for letting me be here. Thank you, Lord, for, for letting me see my grandkids and, and watch them grow up and, and see my friends and my family and, and see God doing the things he's doing because God's doing some amazing things. There was a young man this week, uh, part of this church, uh, who had a really bad diagnosis, and people prayed, and, and his health turned around. Man, that is so good. It's so good to know that when there's something going on that you can turn to God and God can do something and you can be involved. But God's got to have the lead. We can't be telling God, this is what you need to do and this is how you need to do it. This is when you need to do it. This is who you need to do it through. Because then that takes away who God is. Because he's a lot smarter than we are. Um, but, but that's where this oneness, you know, we, we, last week we began to speak about unity and how important unity is. Unity is vital for revival. See, a lot of people want revival, but they're not willing to pay the price. Oh, okay, that didn't go over real well. That's all right. Still true. It's true whether we believe it or not, whether we accept it or not, whether we walk in it or not. But if we will know the truth and walk in the truth, what will the truth do? It'll set you free and keep you free. And that's what God has for us, freedom. But not freedom. Uh, the Bible says don't use your freedom as an ability to do what you want, but to serve one another in love. And, and so there's nothing greater than that. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom would be servant of all. And if we, listen, if we all took a moment and decided, I'm not going to live for me, I'm going to live for God, and I'm going to live for the benefit of others, what kind of society would that be? It's hard to even comprehend because it's so different from what we experience. But unity is necessary for revival. And we know we're going to have revival. It's just that not everybody's going to be involved with it. And it's not because God's being exclusive. God is inclusive, but we exclude ourselves if we're not willing to, number one, unite with God, come back in line with God. Uh, do things his way, make him number one, and then come, come together as, as the church, the body of Christ. Um, because without that, he can't flow the way he wants to. It's, it would be like an extension cord. You know, that's kind of what Holy Spirit is. He connects us to God. And if that extension cord is cut, it's not going to allow the power to flow. If we're cut from the body of Christ because we're choosing to be divided, the power of God is not going to flow the way God intended it to flow. But it will flow. It'll flow either with my uh, choosing unity or around me. Hello? So, so unity or oneness is really important. And this morning before we get into God's word, um, I want to share some statistics and some uh, insights with you that come from um, Psychology Today, Harvard Health, um, a number of different articles that I've read and reports I've read, Cigna, which is an insurance company, did a massive report on this. 
And uh, Harvard, the Harvard article stated uh, this issue is a growing health epidemic. The rate has doubled since the 1980s, and in two years, 2018 and 19, they saw an addition of 7% increase. So what is it? I'm not going to tell you yet. Uh, Psychology Today called it the new epidemic. It, is in, it has increased risks of early mortality with rates similar to those of obesity and smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It can cut eight years from your life if you regularly struggle with this. 60% of all Americans report regularly being challenged with this. I want you to see a graph. Do we have it? Okay, there it is. So breaking it down generationally, Generation Z, which is 18 to 22, and these are, these are numbers that I got from the articles that I read, uh, they experienced 79%. 79% of, of Gen Zs experience this regularly. That's 8 out of 10. Then millennials, 23 to 37, 71% of them regularly experience this or are challenged by this or struggle with this. Gen Xers, 60%, boomers, 50%, and the greatest generation, 71 and above, are the least likely to report this. So, so what is this? I mean, it, it, it's, it's massively influential in our society in America. Majority of people deal with it. The younger you are, the most likely you are to deal with this. But there's another factor too. And 52% of light media users, people that don't use the social media a lot, report regular struggles with it. But heavy social media users, the number jumps to 73%. So look around, look around. And I want you to know that there are a number of people and the majority of people that may be dealing with this. I've dealt with this. I, I at times, struggle with this. I think we all do. And one of the things that one of the articles said was the numbers are actually probably lower than what is actually going on because people don't want to report this. And the last information I want to give you before I tell you what it is, is all this information was gathered before February of 2020, okay? Before COVID, before all the, the social distancing and all these other things. So I believe, and I think we all would, would agree that this probably has increased, and what is it? It's loneliness. It's loneliness. Now, I say that, and, and at this moment, we're all kind of checking in and saying, yeah, well, you know what, that's right, that's what I've felt. I, I have at times felt really alone. And yet I have no reason to because I know that I have a wonderful wife, I have great friends, God is always there, and yet I, I get blasted at times with this feeling that I'm alone, that I'm isolated. And, and it's not all the time, but it's something I think we all, at moments in time, the enemy beats us up with or comes to attack us with. And even God said it wasn't something that was good, right? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, 
The scripture says this. And the Lord God said it is not good that man should be what? Alone. Alone. Now, his, his solution to this was creating another human being, Eve, who was same in kind but very different than Adam. All right? So there was a diversity, but there was a unity that God has. And God's the only one that does diversity and unity together. Most of the time, we as human beings, we want to do uniformity. And uniformity is different than unity. Uniformity says you need to be like me. And we align. And God loves diversity and he celebrates diversity, but he is able to make it unified. And when we see that it says God saw it was not good that man was alone, that word alone, uh, the original word is, and I'm not going to say it, but it's defined as alone, apart, separate, or by self. And it comes from a root word, which means to be divided or isolated. It's not good that man was divided or isolated. It's not good if we're divided or isolated. Uh, Jeremy in his message, uh, not my will, his will, uh, said that if, from Ecclesiastes, two are better than one and a threefold cord is not easily broken. You know, the more strands we work together in our lives of, of networking with people that are godly people, we're talking about being unified with godly people. Because Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You and I cannot agree on the things that somebody who doesn't believe in Christ believes. Because unless it lines up with God's word. We can love them, but we can't be united with them. Because it's being unequally yoked. And God doesn't have that because what that does is it, it minimizes, it decreases the effectiveness of God in our lives. And so we, we can love them, but we can't be united or in oneness with them. And so we're going to look at this today and see how important this really is. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, before we go there, John, okay, uh, I just want to pray. So if you would bow your heads, because it's really important as every day, not just here on Sunday, but every day, that we get input from God, that God uh, imparts what he has to impart to us. And, and so today there's something for every one of you here. Every one of us God wants to uh, impart something to, and it's going to be through his word and by his spirit. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. We can't go anywhere that you're not there. But, Father, right now our, our focus is on you. We've determined that we are going to set aside this time to hear from you. Because you've said we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Father, I, I present myself to you today, and I thank you for the honor and privilege it is to address uh, the people that you love. That you would use me to say what you have to be said. That, Father, your spirit would affirm the things that you have for each one of us individually and all of us collectively, that we would be transformed, that we would be changed, that we would become more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, walking in this world, revealing him, and as he's lifted up, he would draw all people unto him. So we thank you, Father, for the good work that you've begun, that you're faithful to complete. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... 
So last week we, we looked at a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where it says, let there be no divisions in the church. Do you remember that? I hate to ask that because many times people say, oh, I don't remember any of that. Uh, but I, I did share that. And that's where it, it, it's important that we recognize the book of 1 Corinthians, that letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Corinth. It wasn't just one group. It was the whole body of Christ. It would be like the, the letter to the Romans. If, if Paul was writing a letter today to the Romans, to the church at Rome, it would be this church and it would be the other churches that are here that are established because God had for them to be established. So it was to a whole mass of people. And one of the themes that runs throughout the chapters of 1 Corinthians, it's one of the most dominant things themes in 1 Corinthians, he addresses divisions. There were so many divisions. You know, we just partake, partook of communion. And one of the things Paul had to address was how the Corinthian church was, was doing communion because they were divided. Some weren't waiting for others. Uh, the rich people were having big banquets and the poor people had hardly anything to eat because it wasn't just a cracker and juice. It was a whole meal. And so Paul addressed that division. He addressed in chapter 3 the carnality that brought divisions and strife because uh, some said, you know, I'm of uh, Paulus. The others said, I'm of Paul. They had certain leaders that they thought were just the best and the other ones didn't matter. You know how we do in our society? If the shoe fits, don't wear it. Okay. Uh, he, he also addressed in chapter 4 uh, those that were taking a superior position and and attitude and view of themselves versus somebody else. They were looking down on other people. Chapter 6, uh, they, they were um, struggling with, with divisions because of their perspectives on food. 7, it was divorce. 8, it was idols. 10, it was self-seeking. 11, again, there were divisions at the, the, the last, or the uh, communion. And in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 12, we're going to look at this because it says, For as one, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now that's very similar to what I share with you about what our national motto is. Our national motto for the United States of America, which are not so united anymore, is e pluribus unum. Out of many, one. So America celebrates diversity, but do we really? If you look around today, it seems like we're more divided and, and it's because we kind of gravitate towards people that are like us or uh, think like us or have the same values as we do and we discount everybody else. You know, it's not different from what the Corinthians, uh, Paul talked to them about having a superior attitude or view of oneself versus somebody else. You know, that's, that's human nature. We think we have the best ideas. Come on, folks. That's why we choose what we choose instead of choosing what's best the way God has it because we think we even know better at times than God. So... For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. 
For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So he's, he's saying there, there is a diversity, but we're one. Jews and Greeks were very different. Slaves and free were very different. But he's saying despite your differences, there has to be a unity. There needs to be a unity. One of the things I'm so blessed by in this church is there's a diversity. Because when, when Debbie and I, before Debbie and I moved up here and, and uh, became a part of this church, when we knew we were coming, I, I, told, I told God, you know, like I should be telling him anything. But I, I said to him, God, I, I, want, I want the church to be like heaven. I don't want this to be a white church. I, I don't want this to be any one type of church. I want this church to be like heaven where there would be all ages, all races, all economic differences, educational differences, everything. But that it would be all joined around one thing, and that's Jesus. Because if you don't have that at the core, you can never stay united. Because without God being the head of it all, somewhere at some time, somebody's going to want their way. But as Christians, whose way are we supposed to let happen in our lives? God's. And it doesn't happen in all of our lives all the time. Not my will be done, but, but your will. His will be done. And if, it if it's done, then we can be assured abundant life will occur because that's what Jesus came to give us. By one spirit, we're baptized into one body. That's unity, even though there's a diversity of Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Ephesians chapter 4, last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, that talked about the unity of the spirit. But in verse 4 through 6, it says this. You were all called to travel the same road in the same direction, so stay together both outwardly and inwardly. Now, I, I just want to uh, share from the New King James, that verse is, there is one body, one spirit, just as you, plurally, were called into one hope of your calling. It goes on to say, you have one master, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with what? Okay, this is what the Apostle Paul is writing that God says this is the way it's supposed to be. But my question to you today is, is this actually what's happening in your life? And this isn't a time for us to think about anybody else and think, you know, I, I, I hope they hear this. Because you can't do anything about anybody else. You have no authority in anybody else's life, but you have full authority in your life. And so this is a moment in time. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. Because I, I, I don't want you distracted. And I want you to really, at this moment, allow Holy Spirit to help you see whether you are... <laughs> allowing God to rule over all and work in all and be present in all in your life. 
And if everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Father, I, I need help with this. We need help with this. We need help to recognize truth. Because we don't want to believe it's, it's, it's not that way. But Father, it certainly is in areas of our lives where we're at odds or we're devaluing people. That we've allowed division and strife to disconnect us and divide us. Father, help us. Help us to freely forgive even as we have been forgiven. And fully love even as we have been fully loved. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. So again, looking at this, one master. Now, if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm your master. How, honestly, how would that make you feel? Isn't there a pushback we all have? I'm your master. We don't want anybody to be our master. I remember listening to the kids fight. And, and at times I would hear, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> I see parents looking at kids. Because <laughs> kids are kids. And whether you realize it or not, we're kids. And we act the same way. You're not the boss of me. Well, let's see. If you're going to work, you got a boss. And if you don't want that boss, you don't have to have that boss. But you also don't have to have the paycheck or the benefit. And I want you to understand somebody's going to be the boss of you. The Bible says we can't serve two masters. We'll love one and hate the other. And there are only really two masters in this world. That's God and the enemy of your soul who is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. And God who has designed and desired and provided for you to have life and life more abundant. Who do you want as your master? I know it's, it's an obvious question. But the reality is sometimes we, we know what we want, but we're choosing something else. If you want the dog, don't call the cat. If you want abundant life, don't come under the enemy's rule. Well, how can I be sure I'm not coming under the enemy's rule? You do what God says. You have God as your master. It's not just a title that we, we speak to him, Lord. It's really us living the lordship of Jesus. He has his way as master, lord, and king in our life in every area. The areas that he doesn't have that, we don't have abundant life. We don't have peace. We don't have joy. We don't have prosperity. We don't have those things. Now, I, I'm not saying that that can't be a part of somebody's life, but it'll be short-lived. You look in the world, they don't have Jesus as Lord, and some of them have more money than they know what to do with. But I'm telling you, they have no peace. They have no joy. They have no hope. They have no life. They got stuff but they're alone with their stuff. It was a lot like the prodigal son. Remember the story of him? He took his inheritance, even though his father was alive. He said, I don't care about you. I just want the money. And he took the money and he ran. 
And he had all sorts of friends for a certain length of time, but when the money ran out, the friends faded. That's the way the world works. But God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's there for you through thick and thin. And, and so there's a oneness. It's supposed to be permeated with oneness, our life, connected with God and interconnected with brothers and sisters in Christ because we know the Bible says a house or a city or a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. And we're watching the country we live in, the world that we live in become dismantled, taken apart because of no unity. And it's not going to get better. Some of you may have issue with that. You may say, well, you know, I, I, I believe we're supposed to go from glory to glory. We will, but the world won't. The church is going out glorious and victorious. But the world is getting darker, more desperate than ever before. There is a real dividing line, and that's where we can't be straddling anything. One foot in the world, one foot in, in the kingdom. You got to get all in. Because if you don't, it's like your legs are getting farther and farther apart and we can only go so far before we fall. And God doesn't want you to fall. But there's, in the world, it's, it's all about self. Selfishness reigning and ruling and guiding and governing. And in the kingdom, it's about selflessness, giving up self. And even as Paul directed to the, the Corinthians that they were carnal, they were fleshy. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, and this won't be up there, but it talks about the, the works of the flesh. And, and uh, in one translation, it says in verse 20 of Galatians chapter 5 that these things produce and come out as hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, and divisions. Every time we're operating in any one of those characteristics, we're not allowing God to have his way. We're allowing the flesh to have his way. Human nature not governed by God, not guided by God. And so we're going to look real quickly at, at somebody that whether people in the world know it or not, this is exactly what their pattern is. And, and you may have heard of him. Diotrephes. Right? You know who we're talking about. No. Let's go to 3 John chapter 1, verse 9. This man, Paul writes, I wrote to the church, but... Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. And then it goes on and it lists all these things that, that he does. And he spreads rumors, vicious rumors. He refuses to show hospitality to traveling Christians. He tries to stop other people from showing hospitality to traveling Christians. And if those other Christians try and show hospitality, he kicks them out of the church. If he doesn't get his way and have everybody else adopt his way, then, then get out. My way or the highway. What if God did that? 
man, we'd still be lost in our, our, our sins. But God is so unlike that. But this, there's a characteristic here that we need to look at. It says he loves to have the preeminence among them. The preeminence. And, and we've looked at that word before, but in context with Jesus, in connection with Jesus. But to, be, to have preeminence, or preeminence is to be first chief, uh, first in rank or influence or order or authority, that there's none higher. And, and so he wanted the preeminence. He wanted the preeminence among them. And, and wouldn't receive certain people, even though they were brothers and sisters in Christ. And the sad thing is we're doing this today in the church. The world's going to do it. Because the only place they can operate is from a selfish foundation. But we as Christians... We're gods. There's one master in our life. We're not it. And our master is love. And if our master or the head of the body, the church, is love, then the whole body ought to be full with love. Now, listen, you can love somebody without agreeing with them. But we've lost the reference point that we can disagree agreeably. There's no more of that happening in the world or in the church. If they don't agree, then we have no use for them. If they don't agree, they're wrong. Uh, you know, there are some Christians that don't understand how, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get flack from this because I'm going to have to mention one before the other, how somebody could vote for Donald Trump. There are some Christians that don't understand how anybody could vote for Joe Biden. Last time I checked, neither Donald Trump or no Joe Biden were in the Bible. And if you're making that a dividing line, you're working on the enemy's side. If you're making anything that's not in print in the Bible a dividing line, then you're working on the enemy's side. And I want you to know you are in direct opposition to Jesus' prayer. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And there was something Jesus wanted before he went to the cross. He wanted so much that he took almost a full chapter in a prayer that's recorded for us to see. And we're going to look at this at the very end of the service because we're just going to get into it today. But back to Diotrephes. Loved to have the preeminence. Wanted to be chief. Wanted to be above. Wanted to be uh, leading everybody, telling everybody what they ought to do. And they ought to conform to him. The moment I think... People ought to conform to what I think. I am wrong. Unless what I think is what God has said. Because if it's not in the Bible, it's my opinion. It's my perspective. It's my reference point. And if I'm going to major on minors and be an agent of division 
then I'm opposing God. I don't know how to say it any other way. And I'm not saying it because I'm angry. I'm saying it because for this last year and even before that, when I go to prayer with God, it's not just me talking. There are times that I'm just sitting and listening and just saying, God, help me know you. And I, I really have become very aware, and I believe it's the Spirit of God that's made me aware of this, of how heartbroken God is because of the division among his kids and how he longs for us to experience the joy and the peace and the life that comes from unity. Just like we read last week in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is that brethren dwell together in unity. And then it goes on to say, that's where the Lord commands the blessing, eternal life. Life evermore. That's abundant life. But when we don't dwell together in unity, we experience division and the lack of abundant life that God has provided, but we're pushing back because of our choices. And you know, that's not uncommon. We, we want what we want. In the Old Testament, the book of Judges, the book of Judges is all about Israel and God and how Israel would kind of walk with God for a while and then decide they wanted to do their own thing. And they would get into sin and they would get into trouble and things would occur that God never intended them to experience. And yet they did because they turned away from God. They didn't stay united with God and they didn't stay united with each other. And the last verse of the last chapter tells us why it happened. And that's Judges chapter 21, verse 25. It says, in those days, in those days, the Israelites did not have a king, so everybody did whatever they thought was right. And as I was reminded of this, and as I read this, and as I studied this, I realized this is a lot like America now. It also resembles the church. Everybody did what they thought was right. You know, the church isn't a democracy. It's a theocracy. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, I understand that, that there are people that God uses, and they're imperfect people, all of us being imperfect. But Jesus has to be the head. Because if he's not the head, then we're going to revert back to doing whatever is right in our own sight, whatever we think is best, whatever we think is good, whatever we think is right. And why is your right better than my right? unless I think I'm superior to you. Which, 
In some cases, you may be superior to me. I may be superior to you. I, I, I may know some things you don't know, and you may know some things I don't know, and you may be able to do some things I can't do, and I may be able to do some things you can't do. But who, who gave me the ability to know and to do? Because the truth is, none of us did this on our own. We can't take the credit for it. There's only one that gets the credit for this, and that's God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. But the contrary is true, too. If we don't lift him up, if we don't elevate him in our lives to be Lord, then people aren't going to be drawn together. They're going to be divided. And we're living in a, a country that's becoming more and more polarized and divided than ever before. And man can't unite people. Not like God. And that's what happened. In those days, the Israelites did not have a, a king. What was the king? The authority. He was the one that said, this is how things are going to work. They followed the king's lead. They were under the king's dominion. And, and if you don't have that, if everybody does what's right in their own sight... There's chaos, there's confusion, there is tension all the time, everybody pulling for people to come their way. If I was able to and could show you what this is like, I could put Jeremy right here and I could have a number of other people come up and start pulling on Jeremy just pulling and relentlessly pulling this way and that way. And what would happen is Jeremy would be jerked back and forth this way and that way. No peace, no rest, no joy, no strength. And the longer that went on, the more weary he would get, the more damaged he would get. Just like what's happening in our society. Just like what happens in churches. Church isn't Burger King. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Have it your way? It's not about you having it your way. And, and some people may look at me and say, well, you're the pastor. You have it your way. I want you to understand something. This is really serious to me. This is not my church. It is where God has placed me and I belong. But this is not mine. This building is not my building. All of you people, not mine. Because we're all his. This is all his. My goal has always been, and I've not always been able to do it or done it well, but I've tried to have God have his way here and have the elders and the leaders and the teams here determined to do God's will. And do we get it right? Yeah, sometimes. Do we get it wrong? Yeah, sometimes. But God knows our, our commitment is to having his way. And we realize without it, 
There's just going to be confusion, chaos, disorder, division. And, and part of the reason why it's happening in our society is because today the majority of people believe there's no absolute truth. They have said, you cannot say that's truth. And what the majority of people in America and the world believe is that truth is relative. And what they're saying is, I can believe whatever truth I want to believe because it's truth to me. Even if it's not truth, it's what they believe. Now, the problem with that is we've got 70, 80 different truths in this room or whatever we've got number of people. And if I believe I have the truth and, and I think it's the best, then I, I would be a fool not to want you to have my truth because it's the best. I want better for you. And so this pressure starts. And it starts, just let me believe what I want to believe. Have you seen that in our world? Let me believe what I want to believe. Even though you don't agree with it, let me believe it. It started that way. Just let me believe what I want to believe. And you know what? Anybody can believe anything they want to believe. But what ended up happening was that wasn't enough. Not only do I want to believe what I want to believe, <clears throat> I want to tell you what I believe. And, and I want you to not only hear what I believe, I want you to believe what I believe. And if you don't believe it, at least celebrate what I believe. And it's continued on that track where I want you to hear what I believe. I want you to believe what I believe. I want you to celebrate what I believe. I want you to adopt what I believe. And I want you to abandon what you believe. And that would be great if what we're being told to believe was truth. But if it's not truth, and, and I want you to understand as a Christian, I have these conversations with people on a regular basis that don't believe the way I believe. They know what I believe because I'm a pastor. Everybody says, well, you're a pastor. That's why you believe what you believe. No, I don't believe what I believe because I'm a pastor. I believe what I believe because it's the Bible and I've chosen to adopt the Bible as how I'm going to live my life because it's not my opinion. It happens to be God's word. Now, some people don't believe that. You know what? If they don't believe that, we don't have a lot to be able to converse on that level about, but they're still valuable. They're still to be loved. But I'm finding more and more these days, people want to be heard. They want you to listen to what they believe. And then once that's done, they're not so interested in listening to what you believe. Because they don't really care. They want you to believe what they believe. And if you don't believe it, then there starts the pressure. And I'm just going to share something that's an opinion of mine. And that is those that have, there are people out there that have wanted so badly to be heard, accepted, and allowed to live whatever they want to live. 
And they so hate bullying because they've been bullied. Which no Christian should ever bully anybody about anything. And yet those today are starting to bully those that won't believe the way they believe. Now I'm telling you, as Christians, we can't react to people. We're supposed to be proactive. We're supposed to be loving all people no matter what because God loved us no matter what. But it doesn't mean because God loved us, did he celebrate our sin? No. And you and I can't celebrate what God is opposed to. God is not opposed to that person. God's opposed to the actions or the perspectives. And he loves that person. He wants to move them out of the things that are destructive into what is life-giving. And the only way God does that is through loving people. God so loved, he gave his son. You and I may look at God and say, man, that was a hefty price you paid. That was hugely sacrificial. But you and I are going to have to be sacrificial too as we love people that don't agree with us and don't do good to us. Because that love never fails. That love is going to have people thinking. God's going to be able to use you and me being loving to people that don't agree with us, don't believe the way we believe, without having us push on them. Did Jesus push anything on anybody? And neither should we. But we should not falter in what we believe. Don't slide into adopting and adapting to current beliefs that are unscriptural. We can love people and not celebrate their sin. We can love people without affirming their divergence from scriptural. Because if we say we believe God, then we can agree with some of these other things. But we can love these people. And if we're going to love people out there, why can't we love each other? You know, we're all going to get to heaven and find out we were wrong in some things. Some of you looked up real quick like, what? Yeah, we're going to get to heaven. We're all going to find out we were wrong on some things. And we were right on some things. But why fight? If we're going to have revival, it comes through unity. And unity comes through love. And it's not just I love you because you're like me. I love you because you agree with me. I love you because you support the same things I support. It's I love you because you are valuable as a human being made in the image of God. You're valuable because you're part of the body of Christ. You're valuable because you're my brother and sister in Christ. Even though I don't think the same, I don't look the same, I may not do the same, but I love you. And I'm there for you. Challenging times. But guess what? God's up to the challenge. Because there is only one that's supposed to have the preeminence. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, it says this in the voice translation. He, speaking of Jesus, is the head of this body, the church, so that in every aspect, every view, in everything, he's first. He has the preeminence. He has the first say and the last say. Isn't he the Alpha and Omega? And so he should have first say and last say and every say in everything we do. 
And what he says should be what we do. Shouldn't it be? I just want to close with this one portion, and we're going to get into this with both feet next, next week. In John chapter 17, this is, this is the portion, this is the chapter that, that I know we, we recognize and relate the Lord's prayer to our Father who art in heaven. And he was teaching his disciples how to pray, but this is actually the Lord's prayer, this chapter. And, and in this one verse, I just want to point this out. He says, Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return to be with you. How many of you know that many times you have conversations with people, but it isn't until they're just about to hit the door where they say, and you know what, I, I need you to be thinking about this. What was on his mind at that moment was, I need, I need God this to happen. This is so important, Father, that this happens. And the disciples are listening. I'm going to return and be with you, but my disciples will remain here. Holy Father, each one that you have given to me, keep them in your name. Now, when it says keep them in your name, it's like praying in Jesus' name. You just don't tack Jesus to the end of a prayer and think God's going to answer it. When it says pray in Jesus' name, it's in his nature and his character. You can't pray in his name and not pray what he believes, what he affirms, what he establishes. So... Keep them in your name. Keep them in your character and your nature. Keep them in your path and your ways so that they will be what? Okay, we're gonna, we're, we'll, we'll do that again. I'm going to have you read when I say, so they will be. Okay, we're going to read all the way to the end to the period. So they will be as one as, you, as we are one. That's a Selah moment. When, when I say that, that's a word in the uh, Psalms where it says Selah, which means pause and think about it. That they would be one. That you and I, all of us, the people down the road in the other churches, the people that are brothers and sisters in Christ in India, in Africa, in South America, in Russia, in any place on the face of the earth, that we would be one as, even as, who? Who's Jesus praying to? The Father. And Jesus is the Son. Even as we're one. As the Father and Son are one. That's Jesus' prayer. You and I are here to answer that prayer by the grace of God. He was asking God, but it's whether you and me are going to give ourselves up to do what Jesus prayed for by the grace of God, for the glory of God, for the saving of souls. Because I told you, revival can't happen without unity. This is the unity. And if you read this chapter this week, you'll see how connected salvation of people, them recognizing who Jesus is, to us being one. Without it, it can't happen. With it, it can't fail.
like every head bowed, every eye closed. I have been so aware and so convicted and so sensitive because Holy Spirit has made me recognize every time I say something or think something or do something that is divisive, that is critical or judgmental of another brother or sister. Just because I don't agree is not a reason for me to disconnect or to devalue. And yet I've been guilty of this and I have done a lot of repenting and I've got, asked God to help me recognize when this happens. And I'm telling you, it's happening. I'm more aware than ever before. And I'm so grateful. But I, I right now, I'm asking you, will, will you be vulnerable to God? Because he knows you're not hiding anything from him. You hide it from all of us, but you don't hide it from him. And sometimes we even try and hide it from ourselves. But the first thing he wants you to do is forgive. Release. Release what you may have against anybody in the body. And, and follow Jesus' example. He, he hung on the cross. The people that did that put him there. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, I, I ask you to help us. Help us walk every day in that forgiveness that Christ called out for. Not just receiving that, that mercy and that grace, but Father, help us to give that forgiveness. Be merciful and gracious with those around us. First, for those of the household of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. For Father, you said if we don't forgive them, we can't be forgiven. If, if we don't walk in unity, our prayers are hindered. And Father, at this time, our prayers need to be powerful and effective. And so we need nothing to hinder our prayers. So Father, I thank you right now for a clean slate. And I thank you we're going to keep it clean, short accounts. We're not going to count a suffered wrong. We're not going to believe anything but the best. We're not going to demand our own way. That's what love does. And it is you, God, who are love that unites us. Help us to treasure your love and you and unity over all the pettiness that we have fallen prey to. Father, I thank you for the good work that you've begun in us that you are faithful to complete because you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. By your spirit, in your love, and for your glory. In Jesus' name.